0: You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Thank you, a copy of the Word of God. Turn, if you will, with me to the Gospel of John as we continue through uh, this wonderful Gospel. We have three more sermons in the Gospel of John. I was looking this week at that and kind of got all excited thinking about it literally. We have gone through every word of the Gospel of John over this last year or so. Um, now, to me, that is a big deal. Uh, we live in a day and age where a lot of things have become more important uh, in our worship, in our churches, in, in things uh, than the Word of God. And so I thought, you know, what a, what a great place to be. What a great church that we can stand up and go through uh, as, as, a, as a Word of God. We can, I can stand up and preach the Word of God in its entirety through the, through the gospel of John. And to have a people uh, that enjoy hearing it and responding to to it because I can tell you there are a lot of churches in our land today that have made very little of the word of God and make a big deal out of other things Uh, and so what a great testimony of our church and the love that we have for the word of God. So take John chapter 19, we're looking at Jesus' death, a little bit of his death but his burial and his resurrection and so we've heard much probably about the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ probably every Easter. we, we touch base and look at this in different contexts and different light and so we, we are familiar with it. We know that John's gospel was written a little bit later than Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John there are going to be other things that are mentioned that maybe are not mentioned in John. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John deal more I think with uh, the suffering and some of the details Uh, that actually did take place, but John doesn't touch on. So we're not going to go back to the other Gospels and fill in the blanks. We're just going to look at what John has given us and the importance of what John has given us. You remember, even with the, um, the carrying of the cross and the crucifixion itself, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were looking more at what Jesus endured, where John focuses more on who Jesus is. He was a suffering servant from the synoptic gospels, but what we see in John is the the profound statement that he is in absolute control and he is God. The gospel of John continuously focuses on the deity of Christ and who Christ is. So as we think about it, put yourself back into this time frame. And think about all that has taken place as as you are familiar with the other gospels in John and you think about all that has taken place and all the events that have led up to this and we think about his burial and his resurrection. Can you imagine what was being discussed around Jerusalem? Everyone is in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover. They're talking about even going back a few days and they're talking about how Lazarus was raised from the dead and how this man, Jesus of Nazareth, came into the city and there was a a, a group of people that welcomed him with palm branches like he was royalty. And we begin to hear the information about this secret desire from the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees to have him tried in the middle of the night and then he was ultimately crucified and And the crucifixion would not have been that big a deal. They would have been used to that. But remember, if we look at the other gospels, all that took place. Pilate put a a sign above this man's cross that said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. That never happens. The sky went dark. There was an earthquake. The graves bursted open and dead folks were walking around prophesying about the Lord. That doesn't normally happen. And so can you imagine the chatter? What just happened? Can you imagine the disciples? What just took place? the despair, the confusion, but the obvious, and and I think we miss this sometimes, the obvious presence of God in the midst of that. I think you could not have helped but understood that God was all over all that had taken place. So we come to, in John's gospel, beginning there in verse 31, Chapter 19, since it was the day of preparation and so the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, that would have come from the Jewish leaders, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Remember what I said last week, part of the the cruelty of the crucifixion was it took several days to die. And so you were hanging on the cross, but there was a little ledge that you would have been standing on because if you wouldn't have had that little ledge to stand on, you would have just suffocated because of the the hanging of the cross. And so they, they put that little step that you could stand on the cross because it prolonged the death. The exposure, dehydration, the beatings, everything that would have taken place. It normally would have taken a couple of days. So they would have come out with this mallet-type hammer and they would have walked up to the cross and they literally would have broken the legs of those on the cross. And I think about just the pain and the shock. But ultimately, they could no longer raise up on their legs to breathe and they ultimately would have would have suffocated So this would have been taking place because of the day that it was done so that they could be off the cross at sundown, the Sabbath. I'll I'll come back to that. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it bore witness and his testimony is true and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. Verse 35 is there. One of the things that the the Romans and the Jews tried to convince the world had happened is that Jesus did not really die and that he just merely left that tomb but he never died. And so verse 35 is there to say, no, he really died. We, we saw the spear, we saw the blood, we saw the fluid. He really died. See, you can't, be, you can't raise from the dead unless you're really dead, right? We wouldn't be singing quite as passionately in Christ alone if Christ would not have died. For these things had taken place that Scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And another Scripture says they will look upon him whom they have pierced. After after these things, Joseph of Matthias was a disciple of Jesus, but he secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took away his body. And we see Joseph here, a rich, righteous man. Verse 39, Nicodemus, remember Nicodemus from John chapter 3, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, he came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes and 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in linen cloth with the spices as the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden and in the garden a new tomb and in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day, the preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Chapter 20, verse 1, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and she went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and she said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they had laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the disciple outran Peter, and he reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in he saw the linen cloth lying there but he did not go in then Simon Peter came following him and he went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus head not lying with the linen cloth but folded up in a place by itself then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first he also went in and he saw and he believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture they that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Lord, we thank you for the great truth and the promises we see in your word this morning. You did die. You were buried. But King Jesus, you did rise from the dead. You walked in newness of life you ascended to the right hand of the Father for the guilt of man. Lord, my prayer is that today that there are so many of us here that need to truly understand who you are as a righteous king and a loving Lord. Let us be as John's intent as he wrote that we could truly see that you are the Son of God. And that through your death, burial, and resurrection, we can truly see you and your redemptive purpose for who you are. And this we ask in your name, Lord. Amen. I want us to look at his death and his burial and then his resurrection. Keep in mind, his entire ministry, he had been proclaiming who he was. Jesus of Nazareth king of the Jews Jesus of Nazareth is still king throughout the gospel of John they would look at Jesus believe there was a Jesus admit to his works admit to his miracles but they would not acknowledge him as king Jesus I think the same can be said today of our culture We acknowledge there is a Jesus. We believe the things that maybe even Jesus did. But do we fail to recognize who he was and what he did on that cross, in that tomb, when that stone was rolled away, what that means to us that we do have a King Jesus? And if we truly understand who King Jesus is, it radically changes our life. His death. Throughout the gospel, we see here many references to the fulfilling of Scripture. His legs not broken, Exodus 12, 46, it shall be eaten in one house, yet shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, talking about the sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb. It shall be eaten, shall take flesh out of the house, and you shall not. Break any of its bones. Is that just coincidence or chance that throughout the Old Testament we see the prophecies of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, I think there are times that we, as guilty, we love the Bible, we love finding things in Scripture, but I think sometimes we look too hard and we might find things that really weren't intended to be there, but I think even sometimes in our zeal of that we go a little too far. But where God says there was prophecy, guess what? There was prophecy. When you brought that lamb to the altar, when you brought that sacrificial lamb in the Old Testament, it said a bone shall not be broken. When they declared that there should not be a a body on that cross on the Sabbath day, the Jews did not decide that. God the Father decided that many years ago. And he said, "All of Scripture points to my son, and there shall not be a bone broken on that sacrificial lamb." Psalm 34:20, the prophecy was fulfilled that he keeps all of his bones, and not one of them will be broken. We see the body pierced, and I'll be the first to admit, I have sat through many a sermons talking about that blood and that water. Some preach good. I think some are a stretch. When we think about the water, I could spend a lot of time looking at passages of Scripture. The water means this. The blood means that. And that's all fine. It does point to the redemptive purpose of Jesus Christ. But I think, you know what the message here? He's dead. And whether it was the fluid around the lung cavity or the the fluid around the sack of the heart, that doesn't matter. But they pierced his side and blood and fluid flew through his body. Literally as the blood of the lamb was spilled, it was spilled for our sin. But it also was a fulfillment of scripture. In Zechariah, chapter 12 verse 10, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so when they look on me on him whom they have pierced they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and they will weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn and Zechariah prophesying that the already and the not yet the old covenant will be filled in the new covenant the Lord Jesus Christ and said they will pierce his side but is ultimately fulfilled in Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 behold he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him even so amen I personally think that wailing is a wailing of judgment And when the Lord Jesus Christ parts the heavens, all the world will see that those that pierced his side in disbelief will wail in judgment. There's going to be a judgment for all of us one day. For those that are not Christ. And we will wail. There will be wailing when King Jesus aparts from the clouds. We think about the broken leg, we look at this first section of his death, and we looked at most of it last week, but look again at verses 31 and 37, we see that Jesus died before the others. He probably would have been on the cross about 9 a.m., and it would have been 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and some 6 hours would have taken place, and as a matter of fact, a lot of people looked at that and thought, well, he cannot truly be dead, because they normally live a couple of days. They pierced the side. As no, he's he's really dead. Was he weaker than the other two? I mean, what happened? I tell you what happened. There was nothing else that needed to be done when he finished that sentence in John nineteen. It is finished. To lie. remember that last week. It is finished, it is complete, it is fulfilled. There is nothing else that needs to take place. So they did not come. God did not take his body. No one took his life from him. He gave it up. The son gave up his life to the father for the guilt of sin of man. He gave it up on his timetable See, this this event is not on, you know, the Jews aren't dictating what's going on. Pilate's not dictating what is going on. Who is dictating what is going on is the Lord King Jesus Christ. I'll submit to you today, that's the same agenda today. No No one is dictating what takes place in our world today, but the Lord that is sitting on the throne of glory. Yes, we suffer. Yes, we are disciplined. Yes, things happen. But God is in control of all things. It's not chance or luck or happenstance that Jesus died when he died or that his legs were not broken or that they pierced his side. Yes, that man pierced his side with that spear and that was the decision in his mind that he made but that was the decision that God made for him. I always make reference to this. When I see a cross that has Jesus on it, I always remind my Catholic brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is off of that cross. Some people focus on the suffering of Christ. I like to focus on the victory of Christ. He's not there. That's good news. But he did it exactly when he wanted to do it, when he needed to do it, when it was foreordained to do it. He did exactly what he came to do when he was supposed to do it. His life was not taken, rather he gave it up. And in the midst of Christ and his victory and all that he has done, you just have to chuckle at hypocrisy. You just have to chuckle even today at the hypocrisy of the world that we live in. So, when Jesus Christ gave himself up, when he declared to testify, verse 30 of John 19, it is finished, and they pierced his side. Notice what happened. But one of the soldiers pierced his side. And at once there came out blood and water, and those who saw it bore witness, for these things took place in scripture. Another scripture they took and had been pierced. Verse 38, we see Joseph and the disciples. We see Nicodemus. It says that they took the body in linen clothes. They laid him in a tomb. But the hypocrisy of all of that, look back up in verse 31. It is finished to test the lie. The Jews go to the Roman officials and say, listen to this. It's not even, I mean, it's, We need to take the body down so that we do not desecrate the Passover. How about that for spiritual blindness? the passover lamb has just taken his last breath and dead religion says we need to take him off of that so that we don't so that we can please god we can please the god that we have created in our image is false religion we need to take the lamb of god off of the cross so that we do not desecrate the passover lamb Now, I think a great effect would have been, while this earthquake was going on, just open up a little slither, let them fall in, and just seal right back up. Kind of like that Old Testament. Where would they go? I don't know. When you deny who Jesus Christ is, you're no different than them. In our world today, when you deny that Jesus Christ died on a cross is the only way that your sins are forgiven and you deny that Christ's death, burial, and resurrection have radically changed your life from dead to alive and the way that you live your life in some non-lordship way, you're no different than the Jewish leader. I mean, think about that. I, I watch this on TV a lot, you know, when you get the Christian person on TV and the other person on TV. I'm still waiting on, on my invitation to that. I guess there's no telling what I would probably say But when you have one of my favorites that always does such a phenomenal job, the, 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 the Dr. Moeller and Dr. MacArthur, and they sit there and they articulate in Scripture, thus saith the Lord, and you get that false religion and these religious people, and they start saying, well, in your opinion, in your opinion, your opinion, that's exactly what the Jewish leaders were saying. He is not Christ. What he did does not matter. There is another way. No, there is no other way but Jesus Christ. It would have been a good time for the First Baptist Jerusalem Baptist Church to strike up what can wash away our sins. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. In the midst of all of that, we see hypocrisy. Verse 38. Notice there, we see Joseph. We see Nicodemus. But don't miss this garden and this tomb. Look at verse 41. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And the garden, there was a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. As I was reading and studying and reading and commentaries and word studies, you just get so much information. This came to light. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sinned. This is good. But in this garden, that sin was dealt with. Jesus was born to a virgin. And he was laid in a virgin's tomb in a virgin tomb you read things like that and you're just like yes it's not just coincidence it sounds like we found something that no one else has seen oh that's great sometimes I think we love getting our little information like that oh that's really neat we figured this out no in that garden sin entered humanity for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In this garden, a way for that sin to be dealt with was made. Not by luck, not by chance, but of God. Look at Joseph. He was he was rich we know from Luke we know that he was good and he was righteous we know from Matthew's gospel as we look at Joseph that he would bury Jesus in his own tomb that it was his tomb a rich influential man that that had a tomb that that wanted to bury Jesus in it that no one had been buried in because usually what would have been happened don't miss this you know he was he was born in a special way he was buried in a special way he was born a king he was buried as a king if it would not have been the sabbath it depends on how you view it from a roman standpoint or a jewish standpoint a roman standpoint they would have left the bodies on the cross until they would have decayed and rotted and the birds and the prey would have picked the bones and the skin apart they would have fell off the cross and been there for animals to eat In the Jewish standpoint, they would have taken the bodies off of the cross and thrown them in some beggar's grave or some mass grave. But not King Jesus. Joseph placed him in a tomb in the garden. If you turn to Isaiah, turn to Isaiah real quick. Turn to Isaiah. I read this last week. I'll read it again. Isaiah 53, Isaiah prophesying about the coming of the Christ. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried away our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. We see his tattered body, his broken body, beaten, unrecognizable, swollen, near death. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement of us all that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. It has nothing to do with a physical healing. I've heard people preach and teach on this, that if you claim it and name it and claim it, you're never sick. This has nothing to do with being physical sick. This has to do with salvation one of the commentaries brought out a great point we think about once you become a believer everything just kind of goes your way and this prosperity gospel if you live in faith great things happen to you think about the thief on the cross one of the thieves on the cross denounced Christ and wouldn't acknowledge who he is the thief other side of Christ would have said I believe who you are and Jesus Christ said today you will be with me in paradise and then just a few moments later they come by with this mallet and break the man's legs he probably went into shock died of suffocation and pain but yet through all of that he entered into the presence of the Lord I had missed that for many years salvation does not mean that everything goes the way we think it needs to go salvation is even when we go through it we're not alone and there's a final resting place our home is not here Our home is in glory. Look at, again, Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Verse 8, by oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut out, out of the land of the living and stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, even Isaiah prophesied in his death a rich man will make his burial possible. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection are all over the Old Testament. We have Nicodemus. We know from John's Gospel in the third chapter there was Nicodemus that came to Jesus by night. And he is coming. Notice what the, the the words tell us here. Nicodemus came and brought by night a mixture of myrrh, and aloes, and seventy pounds in weight. And he came, and he brought spices and enough for a, what do you think? A royal burial. What a coincidence that they buried Jesus like a king. And they would have wrapped his body with with linen cloth, and they would have they would have had cloths and all the spices would have been all over it and myrrh and they would have wrapped his body as the Egyptians were embalming at this time the Jews were not at this time but they would, they would put myrrh and spices over the, the body and wrap it up so that it would uh, take away from the odor and the corruption of death and here we have Nicodemus I made this note in here it says well we don't, we don't hear much about it but don't miss this It says that Joseph came secretly, and we know from Nicodemus he came at night, but think about what God did to their heart. What a bold statement to give your tomb to a man that just died on a cross. At one point, they lived in fear and in the darkness, but when they realized what Christ has done, they were bold and open about their faith. Some of us today, we live in the darkness of our faith. There's no way of knowing who we believe in. Nobody would even know that we believe in who Jesus Christ is. We never talk about Him. We never minister about Him. We never do anything in our life that would demonstrate our faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. But something happened at his death on that cross that God touched their heart. And they said, you know what? I'm not living in darkness anymore. He can have my tomb. It is my tomb. Everyone knows it's my tomb. Take him off of the cross, Pilate. I want his body. I am going to prepare his body. Put him in my tomb. Nicodemus, part of the Sanhedrin. I've got myrrh. I've got spices. I don't care what happens to me. I'm going to wrap his body as we would a king. How do you think that infuriated his peers on the Sanhedrin? From birth to death, Jesus Christ was a king. Gabriel told Mary and Luke that Jesus was going to be a king. The Magi, they came and they worshipped the king. Pilate put a sign at his cross this is a king. They buried him with spices in a tomb of a king. He is a king. Do we acknowledge his kingship? Now his resurrection, beginning in chapter 20 there in verse 1. Psalm uh, 16, 9 through 10 says, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. In Psalms, we learn from the words of David that his body would not abide in Sheol. There was going to be a new day, a resurrection. Notice when it takes place. I, I think this is very important, especially for us in our understanding of the Lord's day, on the first day of the week, all throughout scripture we have to get this, the old covenant and the new covenant, the old pointing to the new. Sometimes in, in the theological camp is called dispensationalism. We like to keep our foot in the old covenant too much. Some of us don't know what all the words mean, some do. But even on TV preachers, it's like, and I don't. I wanna say this the wrong way, I believe there's a special place for Israel, but I don't live in the Old Covenant. The Seventh day Adventist Church worships on when? The Sabbath, because of what? The Old Covenant. You putting them back on the cross. We live in the old covenant. We think about the old covenant promises. We think about what Abraham promised. All of the promises of Abraham point to Jesus. It would make no sense if the old covenant promises were going to be restored. There's no Jesus if that's the case. Everything that God said to Abraham points to Jesus. Everything that God said to David points to Jesus. Every promise given to the nation of Israel points to Jesus. Do I love Israel? Yes, I love Israel, but I love Jesus more. Is that an amen or an oh me? Some of y'all think, well, I never thought about that before. I've always loved the nation of Israel. I have too, and I believe in prophecy, and I believe all this stuff. The old covenant said God created, and then he rested from his creation on the Sabbath. Sabbath. The new covenant says, you are a new creation in Christ. I came to fulfill, not to abolish. I came to fulfill. There is no old covenant. There is no longer a Sabbath rest needed. We have a Jesus rest, and it's the Lord's day. You can't take part of the Old Testament and say that it is for us today unless you take all of the Old Covenant and make it for us today because Jesus came to fulfill every Old Testament promise that was given. Do I think there is going to be a revival within the nation of Israel? Yes, but it's going to be through the blood of Jesus Christ. There's going to be a revival of all the nations through the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't have to worship on a day called the Sabbath. I don't have to not eat certain food. I don't have to do certain things. You just can't take part of the Old Testament and make it prophetic and doesn't point to Jesus Christ because it all points to Jesus Christ. I don't worship on the Sabbath. I worship on the Lord's Day. I'm not under the old covenant, I'm under the new covenant. There's not an old covenant promise that I am bound to. I am a new covenant child of God because of that day on Calvary. So there. If you're visiting from the Seventh-day Adventist Church, I hope you just got woke. Lazarus' stone was rolled away by man. Jesus' stone was rolled away by his father. Mary Magdalene was a mess before she met Jesus. Full of demons, that's bad. When you're full of, you know, that's, that's that's depraved. When you got demons coming out of you, Christ healed her. You know who got up to go check on Jesus right out of the shoot? A woman that had been touched by a man named Jesus Christ of Nazareth. When much has been forgiven, there's much love and commitment. That'll preach too, by the way. Just this week, I was talking to someone about giving church invitations. I said, you know what? I've changed my my tune on that. For years, I would dim the lights, play just as I am a hundred times, cut the heat on to remind people about hell and say, I'm not leaving here to ten people get saved. And then I realized I got to keep begging those same 10 people that said they got saved to come to church, to give, to do anything. And I thought one day, and Johnny Hunt pointed me in this direction about 10 years ago. You need to quit begging people to come to Christ and just preach Christ because it's an honor to come to Christ. You didn't have to tell Mary Magdalene what to do. She did it because she knew what Jesus Christ had done for her. She got up. It was night. She's a woman. Imagine a woman walking around the Passover, and other women are probably with her, but can you imagine a woman walking around the Passover and men all out and about? She knows that there's going to be a Roman guard at that tomb. What right does she have as a woman in Palestine to say anything to anybody, and especially walking to the tomb of a rich ruler named Joseph? but you know what? She didn't care because she knew when she met Jesus Christ, her life changed. What happens in our world today, if you don't preach sin, you don't know where you've come from. And so when Jesus becomes a believer in Jesus, join the church, be baptized, and you can go to heaven when you die, there's no sin in that. You won't be at the tomb of Jesus either. But when you realize what He has forgiven you for, one of the greatest truths that I'm reminded of every day is my sins are forgiven because of the blood of the Lamb. Mary Magdalene got that. We have Peter and John, and I found out some interesting things. He's doing a lot of reading on that. Never thought about this. Probably heard it in class one day. Probably heard a preacher say it, but I wasn't paying attention like you do sometimes. Peter was probably the oldest disciple and John probably the youngest. They're saying that John could have been 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. That's young. Peter may be in his upper 20s and 30s. John could have outran him. I understand that. John got to the tomb first, but who did he respect? His elder Peter. I'm here first, but you go in. It said, John glanced in there and he said, hey, he's he's not there. Imagine being like a 16-year-old Jewish kid. Hey, I've been walking with this guy for three years and I believe every word he said. He's not there. Peter, he's not there. I'm coming, young man. He goes in and Peter said, he's not there. Then it said that John in verse 8, he came and he looked, he perceived, he saw. Verse 5 says he glanced. Verse 8 says, I see, I saw, I I beheld something. Now get this picture. They wrapped his body with the linens and the spices and Jesus just came out of it. Picture that. First he took the little cloth off his head and he folded it off to the side. He came out of it. Can you imagine Peter and John going, he's not there. It would be like one of us having our clothes on laying down and then our body just disappearing. Disappearing. See, if somebody would have stole the body, what would they have done? They would have taken everything out. If somebody would have taken the body out of the linens, they would have just unwrapped everything. They couldn't have wrapped it off and then rewrapped it. When Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, Jesus said, hey, somebody take those gray clothes off of him. In Jesus' case, the father said, son, get up. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine what is going through their mind? The other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and he believed. He believed that, hey, he's not here. Those grave clothes are in perfect order and his body's not in them. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then his disciples went back home. Here's what makes this so wonderful for us today they couldn't believe the spirit had not come to illumine the words that Christ had said they believed that Jesus something had happened but they could not yet believe they saw all the evidence this is good they saw all the evidence. They had all the tangible facts. Everything was laid out for them, but they could not believe. Why is that such good news to us? 1 Peter 1 8 through 9. 1 Peter 1 8 through 9. For though you have not seen him, You love Him. Though you do not see Him, you believe in Him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. And you are filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your salvation of your souls. They saw the things, but the Spirit and the Word had not yet come to them. And they could not truly salvifically believe. But one day they do. We have the Spirit. We have the Word. You can believe. We don't have to recreate an empty tomb and grave clothes. And we don't have to go back to Golgotha and Calvary. We don't need all the physical evidence of what Christ has done so that people can see and people can touch. We have a resurrected Savior. We have a King Jesus. And it is the Spirit of God and the Word of God as we share it that makes it known. Is that not wonderful? Wonderful. Just as John and and Peter looked into that tomb and it said they believed those facts that took place, as the Word of God is proclaimed and the Spirit of God comes upon us, it opens our eyes and our heart to the truth of Scripture where we too believe. Now, notice what happened to those disciples. They went to Jerusalem, they waited on the Spirit. Acts chapter 2, they were filled with the Holy Ghost and the the Gospels, the Church of Acts teaches us, they turned the world upside down. I want to encourage you this morning that Jesus did die on that cross. And he was taken down and he was buried. But then he rose again. Do you believe that? Do you see and believe? Is the Holy Spirit convicting you about your relationship with Christ... Is the Holy Spirit convicting you about your love for Christ and your living for Christ and the way that you live your Christ based upon your understanding of Christ. That is what the Spirit does. That is the Spirit's job. And as the Word of God is proclaimed, the Spirit takes the Word of God into your heart and to your mind and it shows you this is Jesus. We don't have to convince anyone. We just have to share the gospel in such a way that people see our passion and our desire and their love for them. And just as the early church did, we don't convince people that he rose from the dead. The Spirit of God shows them that he rose from the dead. Have you come to the risen Savior? And understand that that tomb is just as empty today as it was that day, and that your sins can be forgiven. I thought about that last sentence. They went back to their homes. Can you imagine that conversation? They put a sign on his cross that day and said here's a king. In mockery they said here's a king but he was a king. They took him off of that cross and they put him in a tomb of a rich, righteous person that would have been fit for a king. They wrapped his body in a way that you would wrap the body of a king. And the father rolled that stone away For the king. And he came out of those clothes as a king. The Bible tells us he lived some 40 something days ministering as the king. And then went to the right hand of the Father as the king of all glory. Do you know him? Have you experienced this king? Let's stand as we pray. Lord, we thank you for your your presence in our midst this morning. We thank you for that empty tomb so many years ago. And I pray that we as your people are not just agreeing that there is a King out there, but we believe there is the King, Jesus Christ. And I pray that we understand that as the Spirit opens up our heart and our mind to our need for salvation and that desire for salvation, that we respond by, through repentance and faith to acknowledge that forgiveness of sin that we acknowledge that kingship over our life that Jesus is a big deal to us and that he is the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings and that we become as Peter and John and so many other faithful disciples that are so clearly taught in scripture. May we be as they and say that you are, I am thine, O Lord. Help us not just to acknowledge the historical crucifixion of Jesus Christ, but let us acknowledge what it has done for our life. And this we ask in Jesus' name.